We want to thank you today for joining us at Truth Chapel's podcast. I pray this word would bring you life. I pray that it would edify you, encourage you, and enlighten you. If you have a moment, please subscribe and leave us a review. We will be so grateful. God bless, and let this word speak to your heart today. Tonight will be uh, my final night of teaching the book of Acts. It'll be our last two chapters, Acts 27 and Acts 28. We'll finalize our journey together. Uh, for the la- I was trying to remember exactly how many lessons that we've taken so far. I think it's somewhere close to 10 that it's taken us to get here. Um, and uh, I've enjoyed every moment of it. I've enjoyed reading and studying for myself, but I've also enjoyed teaching it. And uh, one of the ways that you learn something very deeply is that you teach it. And so I've, I've been excited to teach this, this series in the book of Acts. After this tonight, after this lesson tonight, uh, the, 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 the book of Acts series will be completed. And uh, we'll be putting that on the podcast as one at one time. So you'll be able to binge listen to the book of Acts or share with your friends or share with your family members as well. So tonight... We're going to begin kind of where we left off in our last lesson, if you were here to remember that, Acts chapter 27, and I'm going to begin in verse 1. I'll read a couple of verses here, and then I'll let you be seated. And when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus's band. And entering into a ship, a drain, a dramidium, we launched, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia, one Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, being with us. The next day we touched at Sidon, and Julius courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go into his friends to refresh himself. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. We ask you that you would speak to us from the word, that you would grow us, you would encourage us, you would teach us tonight as we look forward to expounding on the word of God tonight. We give you all the glory and praise. And the church said in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated in the presence of God. Amen. If you um, remember our last time together in the book of Acts, this is a moment where Um, A very familiar portion of the book of Acts, one that gets taught from and preached from a lot. Now, uh, several years ago, uh, while reading the book of Acts for myself, doing some personal study and taking some notes on the book of Acts, I realized this portion of scripture was not connected to Paul's death. Uh, And we, we read that in Acts 26, Paul stands before King Agrippa. And Paul is permitted to speak to Agrippa. And when, when Agrippa meets Paul, he allows Paul to plead his case. And he says, Paul, you can speak openly. You can speak freely. And Paul would lift up his hand. The Bible says that he stretched forth his hand and he answered for himself. And he makes this statement, I think myself happy, King Agrippa. Uh, Because I shall answer for myself this day before the touching all things whereof I am accused of the Jews. He was able to basically represent himself in his own case. And he said, I think myself happy. For many years, uh, it was preached, I was taught from this portion of scripture that this was, you know, such an amazing moment because Paul was about to die. And he was telling them, you know, even though I'm about to face certain death, I'm happy. Uh, however, uh, several years ago, I read the book of Acts and studying it for myself, I realized that this moment was not, Paul was not about to die. Paul actually is going to live for several more years after this. But this is where we find this moment. Paul has asked to speak to Caesar. And as a Roman citizen, as a Roman citizen, he is allowed to speak to Caesar. He is allowed that opportunity And when a prisoner in that day and time, if they were a Roman citizen, they could request, they could request, I would like to share my story or speak to to Caesar. 
and they were giving that opportunity. It's almost like saying, you know what, the lower, you know, the lower courts have deemed my case to be such and such and so and so, but I'd rather, I, I want my course, to, my, my case or my, my problem, I wanted to go to a higher court and they would take it to like a Supreme Court justice to be heard. That is exactly what is happening in this moment. So Paul has requested that he would see Caesar. In this moment, King Agrippa would tell him, I don't see any fault in this man. I see no problem with what he's doing or what he's done. And I feel like they have taken a moment to try to kill him outside of the realm of why he should be killed. And even Agrippa would say in, in Acts 26, if it were up to me, I would just let him go now. But because he has requested to see Caesar, we got to let that happen. And so it's because of that Paul finds himself on a ship because he's going to Italy. He's going to Rome. He's going to see Caesar. The Lord has told him, you have, you have witnessed of me in Jerusalem. Now you must witness to me in Rome. You're going to do both of these things. You are going to speak of me in Jerusalem, and you're going to speak of me in Rome. And so this is why this is happening. Paul is a prisoner, but I want you to understand in this moment that Paul is the, he's in minimum, minimum, minimum security prison right now. Uh, for years, he's been where King Agrippa has met him at, and he's been able to have visitors. He's been able to have guests. He's basically been in his own place, not with, not with other prisoners. He's been allowed to write. Most of his writings from Corinthians and from Galatians and from Philippi and all of the churches that he will write to um, that we have those letters, we, those are books in our Bible, were mostly written in this two to three year period where Paul's just sitting in a minimum security prison, chilling, eating good. His friends are able to come visit him whenever they want to. He's able to have all the company he wants to have. Nothing is kept from him. He's basically on house arrest at this place. He's in minimum security. He's not being beaten. He's not being tortured. They can't. He's a Roman citizen. When they were about to beat him, he says, is it okay for you to beat a Roman citizen? And they were like, okay, we've got to stop now because we can't touch him. We can't, we can't touch a Roman citizen like that without proper cause. And they've tried to kill him. I mean, they, they have tried everything they can do to kill this man. And the, the Romans are protecting him. Like if you were reading the book, you understand that the Jews want to kill Paul the Romans are protecting him because he is a Roman citizen. It's their job. Matter of fact, they say, listen, we want to kill Paul. Forty men take a vow. They say, we're going to fast until we kill Paul. We won't eat till we kill Paul. What we want you to do is bring Paul out, let him talk. And while he's talking, we're going to jump him and we're going to kill him. But Paul's nephew, his sister's son, heard them you know, devising this deal, told Paul. Paul told the centurion guard, they said, look, they got 470 men to come and take him from that place to the next place and keep him protected. They're protecting this man because he's a Roman citizen. God is protecting this man because not only does he have to witness of him in Jerusalem, but he also has to witness to him in Rome. So now Paul is on a ship. He's a prisoner. He's a prisoner now of a new person. The new person now has never met him before. Is a man by the name of Julius. And Julius is his new keeper. And Julius is a centurion of the Augustus band. And they get into this ship and they sail. And they touch down at Sidon. And Julius courteously entreated Paul. This is where Julius was. And um, gave him liberty to go into his friends to refresh himself. This is, he's minimum security. He's able to go do whatever he wants to do. And when we had launched from thence, they, they left there. We sailed under Cyprus because the winds were contrary. This is verse 4. And when we had sailed over the sea of Sicilia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. And there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing into Italy, and he put us therein. We changed ships. We got a new ship now. <clears throat> and when we had sailed slowly many days, and scarce will come over into Sinidius, the wind not suffering us, we sailed under Crete over against Salmon. And hardly passing it, came unto a place which is called 
the fair havens, nigh whereunto was the city of Lassie. Now when much time was spent, and when sailing was now dangerous because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them and said unto them, Serves, sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and the ship, but also of our lives. This is a warning from Paul. Paul's like, we, we shouldn't go. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. Paul had a premonition that something bad was about to happen, but the centurion believed the man who ran the ship. You know the sea. Paul's not a sailor. He's a tent maker. He don't know nothing about the ocean. And you know about the ocean. I'm going to take your advice over Paul's advice. Let's go do this thing. However, Paul didn't know the sea, but he knew the maker of the sea. And he knew something was going to happen. And because the haven was not uh, commodious to winter, in, uh, to, it, it was not good to winter there, <clears throat> the more part advised to depart thence also, if by any means they might attain to Phineas and there to winter, which is an, an haven of Crete and lieth toward the southwest and northwest. You have, to, you have to imagine here, this is a long journey, and it's not going to take a few days. It's not a cruise ship. This isn't, the, this isn't Royal Caribbean. This is a, a primitive sailing boat, and this is a long way to go. It's going to take them months to get there. And so their understanding, we don't want to be on the water during wintertime. It's a bad time to be on the water, very dangerous. And so they're looking for places to stop and stay for a season. And they're looking for these different avenues to go by. But no longer, uh, and uh, so verse 13. <clears throat> and when the south wind blew, blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by creek. So what, what the Bible's telling us here is that there was a south wind that blew. It was a good wind. They felt like this is good. This is a good time to go. The south wind is blowing softly. And so they obtain, they say, they purpose, let's go. It, this is a good moment. So they, so they sailed. But not long after, there arose against it a temptuous wind called Heraclodon. So if you look up the word Heraclodon, this is like a white squall. This is like basically a tornado on the water. This is, this is a very bad situation. And Heraclodon today would what, what we sailors would call a white squall, and it has killed many people. It is a storm that comes up out of nowhere, and it is tumultuous, and it can last for a long time, and a lot of ships have been lost in these kinds of waters and these kinds of conditions. And so there was, when they left, conditions were good, and literally right after they left, here comes the Arachlodon. It's, it's amazing to see and sometimes in our lives, conditions are good, and the next day, we can be in the middle of something crazy. Amen? And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. Basically, they, they, they let it go. They were trying to, to steer the ship. But when the wind was too much for it, they just basically let the ship go. Just where, You know what? Wherever the wind takes us, that's where we're going. That way, we don't, we don't die. And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat, which when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, strake sail, and so were driven. And we being exceedingly tossed with the tempest the next day, they lightened the ship, meaning they probably threw some stuff overboard to make the ship lighter. And the third day, we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. They were throwing stuff out of the ship, making the ship lighter. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. This is a horrible storm. It's lasting for days on end. I can't imagine being on this boat. These men are probably vomiting. It's probably a horrible situation. You, can't, you probably can't even imagine what they're going through. And... Because the ship is so heavy, it's causing it to be 
probably the waves are bogging it down even more. So as they lighten the ship, the higher it rides on the water, less water getting inside. And so they're trying everything they can to save themselves. But on this day, the Bible tells us that all of their hope of making it alive is taken away. Watch verse 21. But after long absence or long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me. I told you so. And have not loosed from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. I wish you to listen to me because we would not have, we wouldn't be in this situation right now. I wish you to take in my advice. I know it looked good, but I felt something in my spirit that it wasn't right. Sometimes as a man of God, I may not know or that the man of God in, in question is not always me may not always know all the details. I may not be an expert in the thing, but I just have a feeling. Ain't nobody going to amen right there? I may not know more than the next person. I may not be the guy who knows all about the ships and the water, but I just feel like this is a bad idea. Now, Paul says, I wish you would have hearkened to me, and I wish you'd have done this because we, now we wouldn't be in this situation. And watch verse 22. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you except the ship. But of the ship. None of us are going to die, but we can't save the ship. As I was reading this this week, <clears throat> I thought about this moment where... If, if you love the ship too much, it'll kill you. There are some times when the only way to save yourself is the ship has to go. Everybody's going to be saved, but the ship's not going to make it out of this. And sometimes in in our personal lives, we, we have moments where we realize, you know what? I need to keep all the relationships I have and we're all, we're going to make it, but this ship, it ain't going to make it out of this. What, what we're traveling in this moment, it's not going to make it out of this. And watch Paul's explanation of this. Watch Paul's explanation. And I want you to go back to verse 21 and realize that Paul, basically Paul disappears for a long time. Like, like, Paul just gone. And then all of a sudden, he's standing in the middle of him and he says, hey, I wish you wouldn't have done this. I told you not to do this. And I'm going to let you know now, everybody's going to live, but the ship ain't going to make it. Let me tell you why. Because there stood by me this night, the angel of God, whose I am. Ooh, I like that part. That's verse 23. He said, there stood by me tonight an angel of God whose I am and whom I serve, saying, fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Whoo, hallelujah. He said, don't be afraid, Paul. You're going to face Caesar. And because you are going to be saved, I'm going to let everybody else be saved with you. Mm. My, 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 my. Sometimes the power of the person you're traveling with, sometimes the power of the purpose that's on the person you're traveling with can save you. Mm. Let me say it one more time. Sometimes the power of the people and the power of the purpose that's on their life that you surround yourself with sometimes saves you. That's why you should make sure you surround yourself with people that have a purpose. Somebody said amen. Be careful. <clears throat> Be careful that you don't always surround yourself with people that ain't got no direction. But just because Paul had a purpose, he, God had something on him. He, God, God said everybody else going to make it too. Everybody else going with you. Verse 25, he says, Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God 
that it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit, we must be cast upon a certain island. But when the 14th night was come, as we were driven up and down in Adria, about midnight the shipmen deemed that they drew near to some country. About midnight, the guys on the ship, who, whoever the, the, the guys were uh, controlling the ship, they, they, they realized, I think we're close to land. And they sounded, and they found it 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, they sounded again and found it 15 fathoms. What are they talking about? This is a way that ships would, would, would hail to land. They would, they would sound it almost like um, a way of like echolocating. And they would, if, you, if, you're, if you're on the water and you have a sound and there's nothing out there, the sound just travels, doesn't come back to you. But if there's something that the sound can come back off of, something solid like land, it'll echolocate. These, this is a way that in, at nighttime when there was no lights, dense fog, sailors would sound and know how close they were to either the rocks of a cliff or solid land. And so they sounded, and it was 20 fathoms, they sounded again, and it was 15 fathoms, they're getting closer and closer, and they began to fear, lest we should have fallen upon the rocks. They got afraid. We're about to hit the rocks. They cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. Lord, let us see. I mean, they were sounding that deal off, and it sounded like it was right there on them. They got terrified. They took four anchors, threw them off the ship, and it was like, Lord, please. They wished that it was day so they could see. And as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, when they had let down the boat into the sea under color, as they thought they would have cast anchors out of the foreship, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. So let me give you the story here. Sound, they sound this echolocating system that they have, whether it's a trumpet, I don't know, what, I really don't know how it really worked. But they realize we are close to the rocks. They throw off four, acre, four anchors, and they're praying, God, help us. And you got to imagine, this is, they're still in a storm. They've been in a storm now, we know for sure, for over 14 days. I can't even imagine this. I've been on some rough seas before because I've done a lot of deep sea fishing. I can't imagine being out there for 14 days. It, it, my mind can't wrap around it. And they're terrified, and so they let out the smaller vessels and uh, the Bible says he let him out under color, which, which, which means it was like a, almost like a, a rescue attempt. They set out these smaller boats. They're going to get in these smaller boats and try to go out. And Paul tells them, listen, wait a minute. Unless they stay on the ship, they can't be saved. Now, hold on, Paul. You just told us we're all going to live, but we're going to lose the ship. The ship's going down. You just told us that. You just told us in the spirit that the angel told you that everybody's going to live, but the ship's going to be lost. So let's get off the ship. Paul said, unless they stay in the boat, they're not going to make it. My, my, my. Because what they don't know right now is that the ship even in its broken state, will serve a purpose. Yeah. He said, and except these abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall away. And while the day was coming on, Paul besought them all to take meat, saying, this day is the 14th day that ye have tarried and continued fasting, having taken nothing. Wherefore, I pray you to take some meat, for this is for your health. For there shall not an hair fall from the head of any of you. Let's eat. You, you're going to need your strength. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then were they all of good cheer, and they also took some meat. And we were in all, we were in, all in the ship, 200 Three score and 16 souls, 276 people. That's a lot of people on the ship. 
And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship even more and cast out the wheat into the sea. And when it was day, they knew not the land. When it was day, they couldn't see the land. They thought they were right there on it. But when it was day, they still couldn't see it. But as they, the Bible says, but they discovered a certain creek with the shore into which they were, they were minded if it were possible to thrust the ship. So basically, this is like a little canal that they find. They find this little canal, and they're like, you know what, let's, let's, let's kind of put the ship in here because uh, there's some land here. There's a, there's, there's a little shore. Not that we found, like, land, but we found the little shore, maybe, maybe even a sandbar, and that's exactly what they're going to find. And when they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves into the sea and loosed the rudder bands and hoist up the mainsail to the wind and made toward shore. And falling into a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground. They ran it up on that beach. And the forepart stuck fast, but the hinder part was still in the current. And so because the front part had stuck and the back part was still in the current, the Bible says the violence of the waves broke the back of the ship off. That's powerful. And the soldier's counsel, verse 42, was to kill the prisoners lest any of them should swim out and escape. This is a ship full of prisoners. And so the guards are like, let's kill them because we're not going to be able to control them getting in this water and we don't know where they're going to go. They might find land. They might find a place to get out and they're going to run. And so let's kill them. Let's kill them all and then that way we don't get in trouble. But the centurion... Verse 43, but the centurion, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that they which could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get to land and the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. And if you've been here for a while, you've heard me preach the message, even a broken ship can save you. Yeah. Even a broken ship can save you. This is the story of Paul's shipwreck. When Paul was shipwrecked and the Bible says they came in on broken pieces. But that's not the end of the story. Verse Chapter 28, beginning in verse 1. I'm moving quickly. And when they were escaped, then they knew that the island was called Melita. And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness. For they kindled a fire and they received us every one because of the present rain and because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened to his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, no doubt this man is a murderer whom, though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. These are people that have a pagan concept of karma. Did you know that karma is a pagan concept? Yeah. Because... If karma was true, we'd all be dead. But thanks be to God. It, karma, karma says you get what you deserve. God says you get grace and mercy. And they, when they saw it, they said, oh, he, he's got to be a murderer. And, he's, and, and, and the, 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 sea, the sea couldn't kill him, but God was not about to let him escape. Karma wasn't about to let him go. And they just knew this man's going to die. And he shook the beast off in the fire and felt no harm. Ooh, hallelujah. Put it back in the fire. Where'd it come from? Came from out of the fire. Put it back in there. Amen. The fire got too hot. It jumped out, tried to bite him. He just shook it back off in the fire. Howbeit, they looked <clears throat> in verse 6. When he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly, but after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, 
They changed their minds and said that he was a god because this, this is their barbaric and pagan thought processes that, you know, if it didn't kill him, then he must be a god. They're about to put him on a pedestal and give him some grapes and, and treat him like a god, you know, because they, these people knew what that venomous snake was, and everybody that they ever knew that got bit by that kind of snake died in a certain period of time. And when that period of time was over, they said, this man must be a god. In the same quarters were possessions of the chief man of the island whose name was Publius, who received us and lodged us three days courteously. And it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, others also which had diseases in the island came and were healed, who also honored us with many honors. And when we departed, they laded us with such things as were necessary. And after three months, we departed in a ship of Alexandria. Paul stayed there for three months on that barbarous island. And God kept him. And not only could he save himself, but he could heal others as well. They thought he was a God, but he said, I'm not a God, but I know a God. Somebody said, amen. amen. And when this was done, others also that had diseases came and were healed. Uh, verse 11, and after three months, we departed in the ship of Alexandria, which had wintered in the isle, whose sign was Castor and Pollux. And standing and landing at Syracuse, we tarried there three days. And from thence, we fetched a compass and came to Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew, and we came the next day to Topoli. Putelio, Putioli. And there we found, brethren, and were desired to tarry with them seven days, and so went toward Rome. And from thence, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as Appi Forum and three taverns, and the three taverns, whom when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. And when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. But Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with the soldier that kept him. And it came to pass after three days, Paul called the chief of the Jews together. And when they had come together, he said unto them, Men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people or custom, customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, would have let me go because there was no cause of death in me. But when the Jews spake against it, I was constrained to appeal unto Caesar, not that I ought to accuse my nation of, not that I had ought to accuse my nation of. For this cause, therefore, have I called for you to see you and to speak with you, because that for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. And they said unto him, We neither receive letters out of Judea concerning thee, Neither any of the brethren that came showed or spake any harm of thee. We, we haven't heard about all the animosity towards you. We didn't, we didn't know that men wanted to kill you. We hadn't heard about the 40 men who took a covenant to never eat again until they killed you. We, we haven't received any letters concerning you. He said, but we, in verse 22, they said, but we desire to hear of thee what thou thinkest. For as concerning this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him in his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets from morning till evening. And some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. And when they had greed, and when, and when they agreed not among themselves, they departed after Paul had spoken one word. Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers, saying, Go unto this people and say, Hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and not perceive. For the heart of this people is wax gross, 
and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and should be converted, and I should heal them. Be it known, therefore, unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles and that they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had great reasoning among themselves. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. The end. Amen. I <clears throat> want to take a moment here before I finish this and am completely done with this series. And, and I want to tell you that the book of Acts starts with the birth of the church. And that's how it begins. In the next few chapters, we see a development of the church or the growing of the church. We see the church growing through Samaria, through Judea. We see it growing through uh, the Italians. We, we see the church growing. The Bible will give us numbers in the first few chapters of the book of Acts. It'll expound upon a number, and it'll tell us at 1.5,000, at 1.10,000. We don't know how many right there in, that, in those few first chapters. But the, the church is born, the church grows, and the church develops. When Paul enters the picture, there is a unique shift in the book of Acts. Because the book of Acts will stop being focused on what we would consider the early church and shifts to a more Paul story. We leave, I don't know if you notice this through the scriptures, but we leave Peter, James, John. Like, like we leave those individuals of the story and we focus on Paul and half the book is just about Paul and his life, the places he went, the people he talked to, the, the lands that he, he went to and all of the different evangelizing that he did. And most of the book of, of Acts is about Paul and how all this played out. But I, I want to encourage you to see the book of Acts in this way. The book of Acts is a story of the early church, how it started, how it developed, and how it grew. But the, the, the crux of the book of Acts is this, is that the Jews struggled to accept Jesus for who he was, the Messiah, the risen Savior. God manifested in the flesh, the express image of the Holy One. They, they could not understand that. Some did, some didn't. But what we see in the book of Acts is what God had prophesied in the Old Testament, that I will come to my own and my own will receive me not. You see, we consider the, the, him coming to his own and his own receiving him not as an early gospel concept that in the book of Matthew, in the book of Mark, in the book of Luke and John, we see an early concept of Jesus coming and his own receiving him not. But in the mind of God, this part of it was not the most important part. Jesus being on the earth and serving in his ministry for three years and then dying and being risen again, for God, that's literally like putting the key in the ignition and turning it and starting it, okay? It, it's not the whole story. In God's view, really the book of Acts is where God wanted to do his best work. Because what he wanted is his people to be converted into Christianity. But they struggled. They fought against it. The story is not so much, in my, in my view of this, the story is not so much about Paul as it is God's people rejecting him over and over again. And the way that they reject Jesus is they try to kill his servant. 
That's how they reject Jesus. They can't reject Jesus anymore as an individual. They've already done that. He served for three years in his ministry. They killed him, buried him. He rose again. He's God with all power. And now his ambassadors on earth are doing a job of telling people about Jesus and the kingdom. Everywhere they go, people are receiving it. Whole cities are receiving it. And we're talking about entire groups of people are receiving the story of Jesus Christ. Entire cultures are changed. If you want to do some really good study, go back and read and, and, and look up some history about this time. And you will see how amazingly quickly in, the, in, in 20, 30, 40 years, Christianity literally took over the known world. It took over the known world. It was the, the fastest growing thing on the planet. There were people being saved, being filled, repenting of their sins, being baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost all over the known world at the time. How did that happen? It happened from mainly from a man who was a Jew, who had the seed of Abraham in him, who was a Roman citizen using Rome as an avenue to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. God used Rome, who had conquered the known world, as an avenue to spread his gospel to the known world. And here's how the book will end in this concept. Christ came, he died, the Jews have rejected him, the Gentiles will receive him. This is the whole plan of God from the very beginning of time. And I'll prove it to you. Because God told Abraham in that desert, when it was just him and Abraham, God told Abraham, listen, this is so amazing to me because when God is speaking to Abraham, he's got Paul in mind. He told Abraham, he said, Abraham, I'm, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your seed like the sands of the beaches, like the stars in the sky. He said, and you know how I'm going to do it? Through you, I will bless the nations of the world. Abraham, through your seed, I will bless the entire world. I will use you if, if, you'll, if you'll let me. And you'll make a covenant with me, Abraham. I'll use you to change the entire world. Abraham makes that covenant. And Abraham is a Jew. And the way that God is going to get this thing from the Jews and use the Jewish bloodline to bless all the nations of the world is he needs a Jew who has access to all the nations of the world. Who has access to all the nations of the world? Paul. Why? Because he's a Roman citizen, and Rome has conquered the known world. He can freely go to anywhere he wants to go. He can travel any road he wants to travel. He can get on any ship he wants to get on. He has a passport that says Rome on it, and every place that he goes to is owned by Rome but he needs Abraham's blood in him for the covenant that Abraham made with God in that desert to be fulfilled. That's why Acts is mostly about Paul because it's the promise of Abraham. It's, it's what God said, Abraham, I'm going to use your seed to bless the known world. And we can go back and we can say, hey, that is the seed that came out through Jesus and Jesus is blessing the known world? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, that fits in the equation. But Paul fits in the equation too. That is the seed of Abraham who has the passport of the nations who can talk to anybody, anywhere. What did Paul say? I am all things to all men. <laughs> I'm all things to all men. I'm all things to all men. Why? Because I'm educated. I don't come to you with enticing words of men's wisdom. 
I can stand here on Mars Hill and I can give you the elect. And we know now that when Paul was quoting those, those, those scriptures on Mars Hill, that he was literally using the words of their philosophers. He knew who their philosophers were by name. He had memorized their works. He spoke their language. He understood. He was the seed of Abraham with the access to the Gentile nations. When Jesus came, he did not come. He said, I am here only for the children of Abraham. He said, I've not come for the Gentiles. He told the woman at the well, I'm not here for you yet, girl. He told the woman who came to him with the demoniac daughter, he said, get away from me, you dog. I've only come for the children of, 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 uh, of Abraham. That's why Jesus was here. But when you get to Paul, Paul has the, the blood of Abraham in him and the passport of the nations in his hands. He can be all things to all men. And that's why I believe, this is my theory, you know, this, I don't, I ain't never heard nobody preach it like this before. But in the last several months of me studying the book of Acts, here's what I see. I see the promise of Abraham in Paul. It is the blood of Abraham. He is a Jew by birth. The blood of Abraham is flowing in him. But the passport in his pocket is to every nation in the world. He's a Roman citizen. He can go anywhere. How do you evangelize all of Asia? How does a man say, Everybody in this country, I am free from their blood. You, you remember that scripture when Paul wrote that? He said, I can stand and look every man in the face and say, I'm free from your blood. I, this man evangelized entire nations single-handedly. Why? Because he could use every road. He had the passport. He could travel on any kind of caravan. He had the passport. He could get on any ship anywhere. He had the passport. They couldn't kill him because he had the passport. They could kill Matthew. They could kill Peter. Yeah. They killed them, matter of fact. But, but, but it took time for them to kill Paul because Paul, Paul had the passport. Paul was able to not only stand in front of the most powerful Jews and declare Jesus, but he was able to stand in front of the most powerful people on the planet. It was like Paul was at the G20 summit preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. The most powerful people in the world have to listen to him declare Jesus. It is the promise of Abraham in a person. When you think about Paul in that way, to me, it makes the Bible come alive. It makes the New Testament, I'm like, wow. And wait till we get into the Romans. Wait till we get into Corinthians and Galatians. It's all going to come alive. You're going to be like, oh my goodness. Wow. Paul was able to write to the Romans. How could Paul write to Romans and the people of Galatia at the same time? How, how could he do that? Because he had the seed of Abraham, but the access to the whole world. He knew how to write to Romans, and he knew how to write to Corinthians. He knew how to write to the people of Galatia, and he knew how to write to the people of Philippi. Because God put in him access to the world. He is a Jew, but a Roman citizen. Whoo, it's just good to me. It might not be good to you, but it's amazing to me. It blows my mind how God orchestrates this whole thing. Because how does that promise come true, Abraham? How does this promise come true that through your seed, I will bless the nations of the world? Because when Jesus died, he died for Jews and everybody else. But how does everybody else even know about it? How, how does some bar, barbarous person living on the island of Melita who believes in karma and a pagan mindset meet a man and hear about Jesus and see the demonstration of his power and be a believer and a convert. How do we get there? How do we get that man to the cross? How do we get that person? How do we get that person in this far country? How do we get them to a cross in Jerusalem? It takes a man that has the seed of Abraham in him and the passport of the world in his hand. I can be all things to all men. That's why the book of Acts is beautiful. Because not only is it the birth of the church, the growth of the church, the development of the church, but it is the fulfillment of the promise that God made Abraham in the wilderness. And that's why I believe it ends this way. When Paul says, I'm going to give you the prophecy of Isaiah. If you could ever see it, if you could ever feel it, and if you could ever hear it, 
you would be converted and you'd be healed. But you can't. So God gave it to the Gentiles. Stand with me. I love the Bible. And if you ain't figured that out yet, I love the Bible. I don't, you know, well, I love the Bible because it's alive. It, it, it's alive. And when you read it and you see it in a certain way, in a certain light, you realize everything God did to get this word to us. Everything God did to get this word to us. How would me and you know about the cross today if it hadn't been for someone who had the seed of Abraham in them and the passport of the world in their hand? John could not evangelize Asia. He was a disciple. He walked with Jesus. He talked with Jesus. He slept with them. He saw, he saw the miracles, signs, and the wonders. But there's no way Paul could ever evangelize Rome. How? How how could, how, how could Peter evangelize Rome? How could John evangelize Rome? How could Matthew? No, there's no way. They have the seed of Abraham, but they don't have access to the Gentiles. Paul does. Paul does. And God will use you to access people that I can't. And God will use me to access people you can't. Somebody said amen. 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 Here's what I know. When the Lord puts his spirit in you, it is so you can connect with somebody. It's so you can witness to some, so you can be a vessel to reach somebody that nobody else can reach. And the church said amen. Would you pray with me, Lord? I thank you for your... We want to thank you again for joining us on the Truth Chapel podcast. May you have a blessed day and walk in the favor of the Lord.